Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Run Podcast. I'm Ryan from Coltsploitation.com and I'm joined by my co-host Martin. How's it going? Pretty good. Uh, in the background of Martin's uh, audio, you may or may not hear classic rock. Uh, he is on location right now at a Pix 106 concert. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Concert series, it's back. I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best to edit it out in post, but if it does, if any of it does make it through. Martin's uh, upstairs uh, apartment uh, neighbor is rocking out, so having a good time. Yeah, so if if, if that does make it through <laughs> some of the noise reduction that I do, um, that's the reason why. So <laughs> just start off with that. Uh, and you're probably sure. asking. I was say you're probably asking yourself that you're eight. How come you don't record in like a soundproof room? Oh yeah, because you know what? Fuck that. Yeah, we uh, definitely don't have any of that budget. Like I said, we well, not even I say not not even most people that do do that have that budget. They're like, oh, no, no, we we and we always say we put our budget whatever we get back towards the beer. So we we don't, we don't spend it at all on uh, <laughs> production. Well, equipment. no, it is it is a production cost. That's true. Part of the show. It is. Yeah. Okay, um, since we're just starting out, I do need to do this uh, for our beer mule. There you go. There's a nice crisp crack of the can for today. Get that on there. Uh, that is not a can sound effect either. That's the real deal. And then listen to that. I'm pouring one out too. You oh. hear that? You hear that fizzing? That's for our beer mule. Last time he took offense in our previous episode because we did Smoking the Bandit and we did stubby bottles and he didn't really appreciate me cracking the, the top on a bottle. So today, crack the can. Do it right now so that we get it get it on the show. <clears throat> Wasn't authentic enough. Guess not. So um, we'll talk about the beer a little bit later. But first, um, let's talk about uh, the movie that we got for the, the podcast today. What we are, are we doing. We are starting Red Hot, and this is a really long title that we've come up with for the uh, for the uh, s- the series that we're doing. So bear with me; I'll probably for- end up forgetting it here and there. But it's Red Hot '80s Action Summer Part Two, Heat Wave Edition. Because if you didn't know it, we are in the midst of a heat wave. Apparently, it is the first heat wave to ever conjure a name for itself. So we're in Heat Wave Zoe. And <laughs> that's why we're doing Heat Wave Edition this time. But if you remember back last year in August, we did do uh, Red Hot 80s Action Summer. Actually, no, we did it during uh, June, July. Did we? I thought it was. Um, I thought it was during August, and that led us into Halloween. But maybe not. Maybe I'm mistaken. No, we we skipped we skipped August. Oh, okay. <laughs> August didn't exist in our book. <laughs> Took it off. I I'm more than more than likely it had something to do with you. Probably. But uh, yeah, last summer we did that. We did a bunch of 80s action movies. We're a lot bringing of it fun. Back. Yeah, lot of fun. yeah, it was a lot of fun. Bringing it back this year. I want to do it again. Um, so we've got a, a lineup that we haven't really revealed. Let it uh, linger and let you think about it, what we're doing. But um, today we're going to do a movie that, as you said off, off air, um, inspired mortal Kombat. throw that out there um particularly johnny cage uh it is a true story (laughs) which we'll talk about um and it really uh, blossomed jean-claude van damme's career so what put it all together martin what does that spell out for us blood sport that's right one of the greatest movies of all time. And I'll be honest with you, never seen it till today. So I was not sure what to expect. I've seen other Van, uh, Van Damme films. Um, you seen Kickboxer? I have not seen Kickboxer either. No. I don't. I, I'm not very deep into the Van Damme canon. I have seen some really odd choices because of what I've received on Blu-ray. So I've seen uh, Lionheart. I've seen Double Impact. Um, neither of those being one of Van Damme's like main attractions, but I haven't seen Bloodsport, but, um, 
I, you know, I'm, I know of it and I know what it did for Van Damme's career and what, um, it primarily was about, but coming into it, I didn't really know much more than that. You've seen it before, I assume? Uh, I think like once a long, long time ago. Mm -hmm. I'm also not that very well versed in Van Damme. Van Damme, yeah. Who would you say you're more well versed in? Uh, Van Damme, Stallone, um, um, who else? Uh, <laughs> wow, great. <laughs> Schwarzenegger. Uh, probably Schwarzenegger first. Stallone. Mm -hmm. Jackie Chan. Mm -hmm. Then all the way at the bottom, Van Damme. He's above Seagal. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, Seagal. Yeah, I would. That's probably Schwarzenegger is probably my first, and then, um, I guess I don't know. I guess because like, I've kind of skipped over most of the eighties action movies. Really, I don't. I haven't seen. I, I guess I would say like it would then be uh, Bronson. Bronson would be up there yeah. too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, that would be mine. And then, yeah, Van Damme's pretty far down. Seagal is way down. Like, I, I've not really seen any of his output. No, to be fair to Van Damme, as a, a young child, I saw probably Universal Soldier 2 a thousand times mm. on DirecTV. Because that had Bill Goldberg in it. And young Chris <laughs> so that, Martin was a big WCW fan. kind of bumps him back up again. Yeah, yeah. Though you haven't seen his most of his canon, you have seen that movie particularly. Yeah, thousand thousand times. Times. So you, so you uh, are Bill just Goldberg intimately knowledgeable of his uh, mannerisms and stuff. Yes. Was um, because that was later in his career. How different had he changed from? It's only ten years later. Not yeah, much. I mean, still, it's ten ten years of, and he did a lot. He had a lot of output uh, within that ten year period. How how much did he change between then and now? And then. Then in Universal Soldier 2. I think he had frosted tips in it. <laughs> okay. Had a, had a boy band logo. Yeah. You know. Not a lot of, he had a lot of success in Street Fighter. I saw Street Fighter as a child. Uh -huh. so, you know, I was a big fan of Street Fighter. Yep. Terrible movie, but, you know. That's besides the point. Probably there's some people out there like, Terrible movie! No, they're, they're, I don't... <coughs> Excuse me. Outside of Raul Julia as Bison in that film, nobody <laughs> likes anything about that film. Yeah, and everyone's upset. Kind of like with like Phil Hartman. Like Phil Hartman's such a delight in his last role, Jingle All the Way, and we're like, oh, he's that's his last. <laughs> it's the same with Raul Julia. Like as he's dying, he's making Street Fighter, and it's trash. But that is true. That he is does true. A good the, job. The, the poor guy was like sick as a dog during Street Fighters filming. Like, I think he is, yeah. like, visibly yellow in some uh, scenes in that movie. Terrible. Um, Alright. So, all of that to bring us back to Bloodsport. Um, why did you choose Bloodsport? What, was, what made you want to do it for this month? Because I think, though Van Damme, I would say, is definitely more of a 90s action hero. Because most of his well-known output yep is in the 90s i think it's just a great uh great little opportunity to see you know what the man's capable of and this film does have <clears throat> excuse me does have a pretty good you know uh cult following mm -hmm. and again you know my main tie of you know knowing about it and some of the background and all that is because being a mortal Kombat fan I know that, you know, at Boone and Co., they were really inspired by Bloodsport when they were making the first game, you know, setting, characters, etc. So, it was just something, you know, I thought would be a fun little thing to do. Because plus, a lot of people, when they think action films, they think, you know, gun-toting. Blow them up. Explosion, blow them up. yeah. Yeah. Which is why I thought it was fun last year to do Police Story. Not just because it's a great Jackie Chan film and a great, you know, action cop thriller but you know there's no real gunplay in it for the most part outside of like the opening it's mm -hmm. mainly you know 
uh, acrobatics and martial arts. So I thought this, you know, would be uh, another welcome because, uh, like I said, yeah, I think most people, when you think action film, you think, you know, Red Brown and Strike Commando or Chuck Norris and Beijing USA or Schwarzenegger and Predator, just Bronson and Death Wish 3. Somebody just running around with a machine gun mowing down half town. Mm. But that's not the case. I mean, uh, yeah, because we had a, a number of martial arts films from the 80s, Bloodsport being one of them. And it's not... It's a film. What's that? It's a canon film, so... Yep, that's, it's a know. canon film. But also, I, yeah, what I was going to say is it's not an Asian-led film either, like a Jackie Chan movie. It is primarily... It's a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, and um, it does bring an interesting element to it um, because this is a non-Asian uh, going to Hong Kong to fight in a blood sport, the Kumite, uh, which an unwary uh, person might look at that word and say it's Kumite. <laughs> <laughs> that's incorrect it's kumite as they Say continually thousand, tell you in the a movie thousand times the kumite the kumite the first, and, and actually ten, the, the, say the first 10 minutes of this film is just them saying like you can't go to the kumite i'm going to the kumite yeah and, and like dropping exposition here and there like you're going to the kumite yes i'm going to the kumite but that's a blood sport <laughs> people die yep i'm going to the kumite and then there's a whole scene, too, where they are in a bar and uh, there's a, a woman that's been trying to find the Kumite. And she's uh, talking to a guy. And she's like, do you know about the, you, the Kumite? And she's, he's like, what Kumite? And she's like, I know about the Kumite. The Kumite is a, a, a full contact tournament held in Hong Kong. <laughs> it's like literally the, just spelling out the exposition of what this thing is. Otherwise known as the Dark Tournament from Yu Hakusho. Oh, wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. Netflix. Oh, fuck it up. <laughs> you have a great opportunity to make the anime, ver- I mean, live action, Yu Yu Hakusho adaptation be blood sport, but, you know, modernized. Don't, don't fuck it up. That's right. Thank you for waking me up. I hope that stays the theme. For the live action. Yeah. It's going to be so funny. The American version. That's, that wasn't the theme for the Japanese. but Yeah, well, they're not important. <laughs> Alright. It's, it's an American show. With that transition in the background for <laughs> your uh, neighbor's yeah. music. Let's uh, let's go on to the beer that we have on the show. Before we, we really get into the Bloodsport talk. We already cracked it. Of course, you heard that at the beginning. But um, we grabbed a special uh, new Amagang series beer. Um, if you've listened to us in the past, we tend to cover all of the new Amagang series beers. Uh, Amagang being a brewery that is fairly close by to us in Cooperstown, New York. Great farmhouse brewery. And this one is called Dream Patch. It's a fruited sour with cherry, blueberry, and raspberry. Box in at 6.5%. And it's in partnership with Leafman's. Which I don't really know Leafman's, but I'm assuming that's like a grower. Doesn't say, though. It'd be kind of nice if they actually said. I mean, it just, it just says on the back of the can in partnership with Leafman's. You don't really specify who they are or what they do. What they brought to the table. But anyway, so this is a, a fruited sour. Um, oh, I'm sorry. It does say. I, 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 didn't, I guess I didn't read far enough. It oh says, brewed God. with the sour gurus of Belgium, Leafman's. So they went back to their Belgian roots here with Leafman's. Wow, just like, oh, ugh. you, you uncultured swine. That's right. It's like, oh, who the hell are these assholes? It must not be important. I guess I should know, huh? <laughs> so, um, what do you think about this cherry, blueberry, raspberry, sour ale? Um, it's good. 
Excuse me, I'm sorry. I like it. Um, it's nice and tart, mm-hmm. uh, crisp and refreshing. Um, you definitely get a big hit of cherry, and it's kind of like an in between between real and like medicinal robitussin. Oh, you think so? Yeah, I don't I think, think it's so. too medicinal. I've had a lot worse from cherry. No, I I agree, but I mean it does have a like slight robitessiny taste, which I'm not a fan of. Mm. Cherry often um, does blue- me wrong, but not this time. And the blueberry, which I usually love, I'm kind of finding it hard to find because mm-hmm. it's kind of buried underneath the sandwich of cherry and raspberry. Because you definitely get like a big cherry taste at front. And then, like, at the end, you do definitely taste, like, the nice raspberries, the, like, nice bitter sweetness to it. Uh, if the blueberries there, it's like a whisper in between those two. And mm-hmm. I, I don't really taste it, but I think overall this is a darn good sour. Yeah, I think it's really good. Um, I like the, I like the cherry element to it. Um, and then I like that it does have like a little taste of raspberry. It's the raspberry is not overwhelming as we've um, had on other beers before. Sometimes the raspberry can be way too um, overpowering and then it be, gives it sort of like a, a particular <clears throat> taste. That, and it sometimes comes off. It can come off as like metally too because of all the acidity. Um, in this case, I don't get that from the raspberry. Like you said, I don't get a whole lot of blueberry. Um, that's one thing that's kind of hidden in this one. But I think altogether, it kind of makes um, like a similar style of bomb pop type sour to it that I think works pretty well. Um, I think it's really uh, easy drinking, very light and thin, which is what you want from a sour. You don't really want a hugely thick sour sometimes, you know, that's kind of like more like a milkshakey style. Um or a smoothie style. And in this case, it's, it's pretty thin. Um, and what I do agree with what the can calls it, they calls it, they call it spritzy. And I do, I do, uh, agree with that. It is a very light body to it. So I think overall, I do enjoy this. I think this one is, um, a really good, uh, Amagang series beer. And it's a return to form for Amagang, because if you remember, uh, we covered recently the the previous Amagang series collaboration that they did uh, with Thin Man Brewery, and uh, that one was another sour uh, sour IPA, but that didn't really go over as well. And that was another raspberry uh, flavored beer as well. <clears throat> yep, the Neon Boodles. Yep, and that one we were kind of uh, disappointed with. Uh, this one's more of a return to form, and they have another one coming in October that sounds pretty interesting. Despite the fact that I don't like peanut butter, it is for Halloween, and it's a peanut butter chocolate imperial imp- stout. Is that what all it was? Peanut butter and chocolate? I believe so. Yeah, peanut butter and chocolate imperial stout. Sounds interesting. Um, I'm, I, I've had a couple of peanut butter beers before. Um, I'm not a huge fan of peanut butter in general. Um but I w- I'll still check it out, mostly because of the can, mostly because of the uh, the seasonal variety that it brings to the table. So expect that one probably sometime in October. I'm assuming that we'll get it and do it, even though I don't like it. You never know. I might end up liking it. All right, so let's move on to Bloodsport. Um First, I want to say Bloodsport pretty much has everything that you're looking for when it comes to canon films, when it comes to 80s action movies, um, and 80s movies in general, because uh, it is the goat of montages. Uh, No, no, it's not. You're going to say Silent Night, Deadly Night is the goat? No. Mm. Rocky Rocky IV, the whole film... Rocky True. Four is literally a montage. Yeah. In the ninety minutes of Rocky Four, ten minutes are actually filmed. The rest <laughs> of it's just a fucking montage. Bloodsport has a lot of montages. Let's go with yeah, that. It's, yeah, but it's not Rocky Four. It's not Rocky Four. You're right. But we love our montages here. The '80s loved its montages. This one has a great one. 
I always love the montages where they have a guy nodding in approval, which we've talked about. Silent Night, Deadly Night has mm-hmm. one of the best ones uh, that you can get with a guy nodding in approval. But this one has it too because in the one montage about the middle of the film, we have Chong Lee, who's like the main antagonist of the movie. He's the the uh, reigning champion of the Kumite. He's watching um, the various fights that are happening in the Kumite right now. And obviously, Jean-Claude Van Damme's character, Frank Dukes, is fighting. And he Chong Lee just gives a little nod of approval. And you know, right then and there, if you, if you weren't following, you know, Frank Duke's uh, various legacies, like being able to smash a brick miraculously at the bottom of a brick pile uh, with his one hand, or seeing him um, steal a coin from a guy's hand without be- even being able to see the the hand move. Um, if you didn't know about his legacies before that, seeing Chong Lee give that little nod of approval saying, yep, this guy's a competitor. I acknowledge that he's going to be a strong fighter. You know, you know that that means that Frank Dukes is going to be, you know, big time in this Kumite. And I love that too, because it's like the film has to sell to you that like Frank Dukes is going to win the Kumite. Like we know Frank Dukes is going to win the Kumite. There's there's no, uh, there's no stakes here to say like, Oh my God, what's going to happen? Is Frank Dukes going to beat Chong Lee here? Um, the Bloodsport isn't a movie that works on like the mystery of what's going to happen at the end because you you know what's going to happen. It's just how do we get there? And, and it's uh, got a lot of. <clears throat> I was gonna say it has a lot of like just stereotypical couching, which is unnecessary. Frank Dukes could have been any man, mm-hmm. but because it's an eighties action film, he's a captain in the army. <laughs> it's just the the. Just army like, like, element like, of this movie is so unnecessary. It's just Complete. like, what? and he has to run away. He's going on furlough, but he can't go to Hong Kong. They won't allow him. Well, because and, they don't want to lose him. Because you know, American imperialism and stuff. He's like the strongest fighter that they have. They don't want to. They don't want well, him to die. Also, that's also never explained. Like, yeah, no, it's really like not. Cause they they say we need you back. The government spent too much money into you. Like, wait, wait, wait. Is Frank Dukes like? part cyborg is he like a super he's cybernetic soldier? yeah he's he's got is he a super soldier like is like is he captain america like what's going on here <laughs> why is he so important to the government besides you know yeah they briefly mentioned just... something about like we just don't want him to to get killed here but yeah you're right the the um, army part of this movie is so completely unnecessary to like if they completely eliminated forrest whitaker's character the film would not suffer at all um in fact, it probably would run a little bit better because there would be no ridiculous chase scenes or, uh, you know, buddy cop drama. <laughs> oh, we fell in the water chasing him. <laughs> Damn it, he got away again. But, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, like, outside, like, he died. So, like, due to 80s action law, he either has to be a soldier in the military or a cop. So, it's like, <laughs> I would really want Jean-Claude Van Damme to be as you the army or is he going to be like nypd officer on going on the lamb it's just ridiculous it's like i know it's it it because it, it really serves no purpose and like the only <clears throat> thing that it does is is uh kind of clutter up the rest of the storyline because if you didn't have the army part the film would play out j- exactly the same he would go to the kumite we know that he's like the the setup for him participating in the kumite has nothing to do with the army either it's it has everything to do with his lineage that he studied under tanaka and he wants to you know beat the the competitors in the kumite and become the champion and that's truly all that we really need to know about the setup however in true 80s fashion we do get a very nice long montage of him learning under Tanaka where we see the tutelage and uh, from a boy to man uh, just getting hip tossed every three <laughs> seconds um, and this does bring us to a great moment in the film where we meet young Frank who's played by Pierre Raffini and Pierre unfortunately is just not a great actor uh, or at least he wasn't a great actor at the time of Bloodsport giving a, an extremely stilted performance and we must uh just 
point that out. And and unfortunately, hopefully Pierre is not listening to hear us rag <laughs> on him. And you know what? I, I bet he's probably gotten better over time. But uh, in this movie, just an absolutely dreadful performance. Uh, kind of... Um, kind of... Uh, a close second to house by the cemetery with the, the kid in house by the cemetery. Uh, if you know, you know, if you've seen that movie, you know, um, but now I will I say, I will say, uh, Frank Dukes is, uh, his backstory is the Eden army. Cause that's what his real life was. So. Mm. Yeah. They try to keep this movie as, as, uh, close as possible. To the real life story of Frank Dukes, right? I mean, everything that happens in this movie is completely realistic and totally occurred at one point. Um, the film doesn't tell you that it's a true story really until the very end. Um, but apparently it's based on Frank's Duke, Frank Dukes' real life. And I just love, well, I'll point this out right now so we don't forget. I just love the tidbits that they give you at the end of the movie that, that point out like the records that Frank Duke dukes holds um and one of them is fastest punch with a knockout and it listed as 0.12 seconds i'm gonna call bullshit on that right now point not only that not only that what fight are they sitting around somebody with a stopwatch like (laughs) i know it's you know like yeah sure maybe now with all of our digital tools and video and things like that we might be able to get down to that level of detail of uh you know getting that specific time but back then i really doubt that we had the capacity to really go back and and like time that accurately because when does it start when does it stop who stop who starts to watch um i call bullshit on a 0.12 second knockout that i don't i don't even that's like 100 millisecond it's ridiculous i a thousand milliseconds i don't i don't I don't. Uh, I don't believe it. Not only that, that he had he his fight record was three hundred twenty nine zero from nineteen like seventy five to nineteen eighty. I want to talk to the <laughs> fact checkers on this movie, see where they got their their details from. They got it from Frank Dukes. Yeah, Frank Dukes go- said. <laughs> I, I I think even so, like I can. I can technically believe the 392 in O, I guess. But the one that just really stuck out to me was the 0.12 seconds where that that really took apart the rest of what I believed about. What about the what about the 73 mile an hour kick that he delivers? I, I missed that one. What? Is that <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's like fastest kick speed. It's like 73.7 miles an hour. <laughs> like he like seriously like okay, like cuz like Chuck Norris everyone knows is like legit was a legitimate, you know, He's a legitimate martial artist and, you know, reputable, you know, in Fighter, fighting and right, stuff. Yeah. Yes. You th- he was do- doing nothing but canon film at this time. You don't think, like, somebody would have been like, hey, Chuck, uh, this guy's uh, Frank Dukes. He says he beat, he's beat. he got a fight record of 329. Oh, what do you think? And Chuck probably would have been like, bullshit. <laughs> Yeah, you know, so it's just I, I like I just find it ridiculous that someone's like, "Ow, look at that! We got ourselves a war hero and a CIA agent and a uh, famed martial artist." Yeah, I missed I missed the part about the seventy three mile per hour kick. That's that's yeah, also very funny. You just got hit by a a train. <laughs> yeah, the the film definitely takes liberties with its realism. Um, but I think that it's a, you know, at, at its core, even though it has some really bad acting, Jean-Claude Van Damme is really not that great uh, at acting at this point. Um, I think that it does a good job of setting up the premise of this Kumite. And I think it, it does a, a fine job of kind of going through the scenario of having multiple fighters in the ring. And we kind of, we, you and I talked about this off air as well. Um, one of the things that I really like about anime and, and um, things like that is when a series kind of goes in order of like, here's 
boss number one and you know you've got to work up to boss number 15 um and it kind of presents it in a logistical order uh and so you know like you're prepared like the, oh they're gonna get through this one but then they've got you know they've got to face off against this next one and this next one and this next one and that's kind of like what the tournament does in this blood sport movie like you know that uh yeah he may have beaten one guy but now we've got to see another fight later on um i think that it's presented in a pretty fun way uh through some sometimes through montages but i think they do a good job with that um you know keeping the the pacing moving um it does get bogged down a little bit by a love story between uh frank and uh the reporter lady um janice and there's a great scene where everybody laughs it off that they treated janice like a piece of property uh during a, a scene where she's uh assaulted by a couple of guys and that's when jean claude van damme comes in and saves her and basically says if i can snatch this coin from your hand before you can close it then i get to keep her and if i don't then you guys get to keep her and uh, everybody's gonna have fun you guys gang rape her and uh if i get her i'll just let her loose but listen she she wanted it because you just heard she's like oh boys boys it's a hilarious i'm a I'm a reporter, boys. Hilarious manly scene. And uh, she even, I think there's even like a, a part where Frank is like, well, I don't really want her. But she and she's, <laughs> she gets to make a, a number of great surprised faces like, oh, 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 what? And then after he wins, we see them later and she's like just laughing. I'm like, oh, boys will be boys. <laughs> Wasn't that fun? It's great. I love it. Uh, the The romance itself, um, nothing to write home about, except for the fact that you do get to see Jean Claude Van Damme in a nice, like speedo type underwear. Ooh, ooh nice, you know, late eighty style, you know. Red slickers too. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Very, uh, very chiseled physique on him. Um, but that love story really pales in comparison to the one that I think is meant to be in Bloodsport. It's, uh, what do they call that? Um, bromance? No, not a bromance, but uh, when the gay character is kind of like underwritten where you don't, it's not never really uh, stated that they are gay, but they they uh, like are in the storyline or it's it's hinted at. I can't remember what that's called. They, they call it something. Solicit? No, yeah, no, it, it has like a specific... I, I just heard it the other day, but um, I don't remember the term for it. Um, but th- th- I think that's really what Bloodsport is about. It's about the romance, the budding romance between Frank and Jackson, uh, who's played by the massive Donald Gibb. Um, they meet on a bus. Donald Gibb's like, you know, cracking a joke with a woman, tr- pretending like he's really interested in her, but making side eyes at Frank. Drinking beer. Yeah. They're uh they're wearing his har- wearing his Harley outfits. Yeah, they're an odd couple, but it, they make it work. And there's a, a really fun arcade moment where they're both uh fighting in a like a arcade fighter. I don't even do you know what that game is? Uh, I think kickboxing. Is it? Yeah. I think it's kickboxing. And I'm Frank sure. Frank's beating him, <clears throat> and Jackson's taking it really seriously too. Like he's he's like <clears throat> thought he was gonna break the the cabinet, but. It's not um, realistic because I didn't see him pop in a bunch of quarters. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They're just playing for free. Um, but they, their love interest blossoms, and it has a really great gay undertone to it. Uh, especially once we get to the the time when Jackson gets knocked out, Chong Lee takes him out, uh, and you know, basically, nearly snaps his neck, sends him to the hospital. And Frank takes a bus ride and just has a, a montage that, of uh, clips that we just saw like two minutes ago of Jackson getting knocked out and how he feels about that. Um, that really cemented. Uh, you, you, so you thought he was dead. I thought he was dead. Yeah, I was like, oh, man, he killed him because it was kind of it's kind of like the Gundam montage of like, oh, that guy just died. I'm having memories of what <laughs> of that moment that we just saw. Um, that it's just kind of the, the same idea. 
that Frank does. And uh, I thought he died. I was like, oh, damn. Frank's love interest dies. Now he really needs to get back at Chong Lee. But, yeah, no, they save they save that for some poor bastard that we don't even know that Chong Lee just <laughs> Yeah. And that's what I was saying too, like where are they dumping all these bodies from the Kumite? They're just like Ugh, Chong Lee it's, took out another it's, one. It's the worst kept secret in all of uh <clears throat> all all of Hong Kong. Like, oh, there's no Alright, yeah, throw them in the river. Yeah, <laughs> just get rid of them. <laughs> I don't know. You would think too, it's just like Chong Lee's kind of taking out all the competition so there won't be another Kumite. Like, he can't be beaten if he just kills everybody before they get to the next Kumite. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 that scene where he has that montage really cemented to me that this is, this is a gay movie about the love between Frank and Jackson. And even at the end of the movie, Jackson's in hospital. Frank comes in and says, yeah, I beat him up. I did it. Jackson, the, the, the love in Jackson's you killed, eyes. You killed him? No, I made him say uncle. Yeah, Matei. Uh, the love in Jackson's eyes there, and then they they share the word that two dudes never say to each other, especially in the eighties. That's right. I I love you, man. Jackson's then, like I do too. I love you. And they did like the nice uh, Schwarzenegger, uh, Carl Withers, you know, manly handshake of love, like in Predator. Remember that? Oh yeah, the That's, the grip. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, brother. And the other thing that I like, too, is that Frank has to go back, right? He gets on the plane, and they're joking, like, oh, this guy is such a son of a bitch because he, <laughs> he, you know, he said they're late and everything. And uh, then uh, Janice shows up in the car. They kind of wave to each other, but the love interest is gone. And that's because Frank has no interest in bringing Janice home. He's Jackson all the way. Three days, and it was they love each other. Yep, found love. I do like too that, like at the beginning, Frank's like has no part about Jackson because Jackson's hitting on that woman, and uh, he's like, "You got you want a you want a big man?" And Frank's over there shaking his head. Mm-hmm. This guy, he's not he's not cultured. He's not civilized. How is he going to participate in this kumite if he's not civilized? Uh. I think this is a this is a gay movie. This is there's gay undertones. I'm calling it. It's, it's a gay, and I, and I don't say that to be, you know, facetious or anything. It's a gay movie, and that's completely fine. I like it. 1988 gay movie, love it. Well, Top Gun too. Yeah. You know. Watch it with Top, that perspective Top, and see how you feel. I was gonna say Top Gun's nothing more, but you know. Just a rock tension between Tom Cruise and Val Kilmer. Yeah. And, and, and the same thing is, is happening here. Like, with that one time Jackson walks in <clears throat> on Frank, he's doing the split across the two chairs. He's like, he's like, oh, my God, you want to have kids? And right there, he was not he was not saying, like, you're going to hurt yourself. He was saying, do you literally want to have kids? Because I'm not sure right now if you're gay or not. <laughs> what do you think? Look how well manicured I am. Not a hair on my chest. And you know, the such movie well itself. Co- such well-coiffed hair. That's right. The movie itself, I mean, it is an erogenous movie for gay people. It's burly, sweaty men. Oiled up. Yeah. <laughs> what more can you ask for? That Chong Lee is fucking ripped, too. Doesn't look at it first. He's like Massive. fucking... He's like uh, fucking Brock Lesnar, especially the way he like he skips around. Yeah. He reminds me of Brock and like that. Just like with all he all he needed was like like a, a talker to go with him, like someone to you know promote for him. Which is another weird thing. Why like the why Jackson and Frank have you know uh, uh, Victor? Yeah, the Victor. guy. Yeah, the guy that like escorts him around, who yeah, looks like, like my mom from the eighties. <laughs> It's like the the <laughs> the mullet type uh, hair, like uh, you know, like eighties <laughs> 80s, 80s women, and he has like that very thick uh, shaded glasses. I think oh. I have a picture of my mom that could look just like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. Like they have a handler, you know. Uh, like Chong Lee should have, like you know, we do see like his, like you know. 
ring guy a couple of times, but it'd be great to like have like you know somebody promoting for him, you know, and be like Chong Ling is gonna go out there and he's gonna fucking kill you. I guess he doesn't need it as because everybody's as already as rooting for him, right? So he doesn't even need a promoter because well, look how big, big and beefy he I is. Know. I know, but the promoter would get you to put more money down. That's true. So what do you think is the uh, what do you think of the the last fight between Chong Li and uh, Frank? <clears throat> It's fun. It's a lot of fun because most of the fights throughout the film, which are the main point of the film, the mm-hmm. main reason to watch the film, right, right, are really quick engagements, nothing, you know, too long, you know, very quick, which is kind of nice because it does make that it does make it feel more like a competition, you know, instead of this long-winded, you know, fight from you know going from fight to fight. So that is nice. Um, this one obviously, you know, is choreographed a little bit better. Mm-hmm. It's definitely you know longer. Um, it's you know it's nice. I like the whole like you know after Frank's getting the upper hand, you know Chong Lee has like his little sand like he's Mister Fuji and throws <laughs> it in his eyes, and he's then you get just like you know because he can't lose, and then just Jean Claude Van Damme is like ah the the the. Ah! The one time when when Chong Lee's getting, you know, he's at the ringside and like you're talking about like the his handler guy that kind of uh, is with him in the corner. Uh, when he's putting that little tablet, it almost looks like he's like he's putting a Alka Seltzer or something know, directly yeah. into his stomach. I, like I, I, I was I, I would not have guessed that it was like you know no, saying, it's like, super, you know, like, it's such a weird. Um, <laughs> A moment i was like what is he doing is he doing like a does he have like a coin insertion there or something <laughs> it's a weird moment like where because it it doesn't look like he's just putting it in his his shorts that's it, why frank was saying go for the stomach go for the stomach because that's where he keeps yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but yeah no it's it's it is a fun moment i do i mean it it brings us to the greatest moment from jean-claude van damme which is where he has to you know act like a blind person and, you know, he reacts as anyone would in this situation where they've been temporarily blinded. You know, just screaming bloody murder. Um, basically, like, blinking profusely. <laughs> it's a great moment. Sweat's not helping. I don't know. I don't know why he didn't win the Oscar because it's like the most realistic performance <laughs> of a man blinded that I've ever you know seen. It's, it's probably because, like, they're like, hey, John, what? <laughs> ah, action! <laughs> ah, my fucking just hopping around like my fucking ass. They went for the realistic approach and they just pepper sprayed him right before. <laughs> well, I mean, it was, it, was, it was nice, and then you know we get to see how paying back to his training of like clear your mind and you can see anything. Of course, and, you know, and that's how he's able to overcome it. Uh, so yeah, it's really cool. Um, Eddie wins his katana. That's it. I really like his uh, win his hurricane kick. He's like, there's a slow motion scene where Chong Lee just keeps ducking it. He just keeps going. Now I'm no martial arts expert, so please, if I'm wrong, somebody uh, correct me in the comments. But I'm pretty sure because they say. Um, in the film that he's a master of ninjutsu. I'm pretty sure ninjutsu, you don't throw fucking kicks like that. Which is, which it's fine that he does, because again, Jean-Claude Van Damme is an actual kickboxer, so it's, you know, it makes sense. But like, you know, the fact that like, yeah, he's a master of uh, Japanese stealth and intrigue. Yeah, he's thrown, you know, back axe kicks and, you know, hurricane kicks, you know, open crescent kicks. It's like, I, I think you got the wrong martial art. <laughs> yeah. No, that's it. it. You know, it would have been like, oh, yeah, he's a master of judo. And instead of fucking, you know, trying to grapple and throw people and get them to the ground, he's sitting there, you know, throwing haymakers. Just like, just blindly. Like, yeah, I'm going to get him. What did you think of, uh, kind of go back uh, a little bit uh, to the training montage. What did you think of the whole rope gimmick of, Poor, like, 19-year-old Jean-Claude Van Damme getting 
strung up like yeah <laughs> yeah like a bdsm sort of uh yeah like just like you know like uh one of those like tape like rack tables where you know they stretch your, butt, your spine out honestly it's impressive to see it from van damme in that scenario um you know just getting completely tied up and doing uh, i i am super impressed as jackson is with the, the versatility of his gonads like, um to be able to just do the extreme splits that he does in this movie just the how limber he is period yeah. just is you know no I, i'm impressed and i wish i was that limber i don't what how old was uh van damme when he did this movie you know do you have it up uh let's see to, to look it up um van damme would have been 28 28 years old 20, i'm 37 i definitely don't think i can be that limber right now um i guess i'd have to really work at it yeah, no, I've thrown my back out twice already this year. So, uh. <laughs> Shoveling. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, prob- uh, probably so yeah, not just... able to do the the BDSM stuff that Van Damme gets into. However, if you pra- practice makes perfect, so if you search out, you know, some Tinder BDSM stuff, maybe you'll get as limber as Van Damme. No, no, not Tinder. That would be ASMR listening to, like, the stretching. Maybe. Yeah. You'll have to... Um, you have to put that in your bio. You're like looking to get as limber as Van Damme. So th- that's the reason for all my really strange kinks that I'm going to bring up. Oh, there's another crack. You cracked into the second can. Yes, I did. Um, yeah, no. I wish I could be that limber. I, I don't. I don't have the capacity anymore. I feel like. I feel like. I, I, don't th- I got news for you. You, you, you never, never did. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Never did. I, don't, I, I, don't I always recall failed you, the uh, gold. V, I would say the V sit and reach part. Yeah. Of the... <laughs> yeah, I always failed that. I could go. I could go to like the the presidential, but I couldn't get further than than that. Um, what do you, you think? think of, oh, oh, sorry. No, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. I'll let you go. Uh, I was gonna say. So, what what do you think of uh, Kowloon and Hong Kong as a whole as a setting? I think it's pretty cool. Um, we get to see it in a uh, small part because Frank Dukes goes up to the highest place in the city and just does a split there. <laughs> you know, he's practicing. And it, it you know, kind of uh, brings us to the one of the 80s cliches of these action movies is like, go to the highest place you can find and just do your practice on a rooftop. It's like, why not? Who wouldn't do that, right? Who wouldn't go to the highest roof that they could find and just, like, stand there and... Have the wind potentially blow you off, you know? Yeah. But you do get to see the uh, you, the overarching area. I don't think that we get to see, like, Hong Kong as a whole that often. You know, there's that one chase scene with the, the uh, army guys. But um, other than that, like, it, we're kind of relegated to the uh, the ringside. But It's kind of... I, I would say it's a lost opportunity because mm-hmm. I think... You know, uh, just how, you know, Kowloon looks o- overall, you know, it's very interesting and cool. And I think, you know, it would have been cool to see, you know, more of like the actual town. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, instead of like some of the nonsense of <coughs> the love story and the opening, like if they actually spend time, like, you know, going around the city and maybe running into other fighters that, you know they were getting into shenanigans with because all the fighters outside of Chong Lee are just fucking meatbags. They're mm-hmm. just there to get asses kicked. So, you know, that would have made it a little bit more interesting. I think. Yeah. I mean, they, we, they really don't do that that often. You know, we don't get really outside of the ring. Um, so it's kind of, you know, it's a cheap film in that sense because it really doesn't have much of a setting. Um, you know, there's not a lot of like setup and stuff like that for for other areas, but um, I th- I do think that we we could have seen some other stuff outside of the ring. Uh, but they do mention that too, like if they get in a fight outside of the ring, then they're disqualified immediately. So yeah, no, they don't have to like get in a fight, but just like you know, yeah. kind of build up like some other characters. Because again, like the whole having uh, Forrest Whitaker and Norman Burton trying to chase down Fred and then constantly breaking out these ridiculous sized. You know, tasers like you don't want fifty thousand bolts, do you, Dukes? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And at one point, he pulls out like a trash can and deflects them. Yeah, she just <laughs> deflects them and it bounces and hits. You know, the random, yeah. the poor, the poor random 
Hong, Hong Kong, Kong police. police they don't know up. what they've gotten into. Yeah. Yeah, they don't. They have no idea what what's in store for them. They just keep and they keep popping out of like They're random just... alleys. And <laughs> Jean Claude Van Damme's like, yeah, I can tell that this is like a straight alley until I get to this one place where it, you know, ha- has a left hand turn. <laughs> I know you're gonna be there. It's kind I wonder of where they're gonna. I wonder where they're coming yeah. from. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like any random guy could just walk down the alley and be like, probably gonna be in that left hand alley there. I don't, that's my guess. There's nowhere else for them to be. So. Yeah, no, it's great, and then I I do also love like at every turn the army guys are just so inept at w- what they're doing, completely like just just totally. We missed out on on like their version of lethal weapon. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, with them like in Hong Kong eating dumplings and be like, oh, we gotta go. And it's like they're sitting there fumbling, which that smorgasbord they had of like dumplings and like lo mein noodles and stuff that looked really good. Mm. You know. Mm. So I was going to ask before, what do you think of the uh, the soundtrack for this movie? Oh, horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. Like, it's got, like, some nice, like, like classic, cheesy kind of, like, synth lines. But holy shit. The ambiance, like, the music that's for, like, ambiance, I would, like, again, I think it's fine enough. I think, like, you know, it's, like, just, like, you know, the right, right tone for the film. But anytime they throw in somebody to sing, it's like the cheapest, like D-list foreigner survivor, like Chicago song, like that, like fucking love ballad is like just ridiculous. Like, oh yeah, gonna make love, Doo-doo. yeah, like it's... that, like like that nice, like incredibly, like cheesy like 80s like electric piano that's like <laughs> only still resonant in like japanese like karaoke bars these days uh, <laughs> yeah it's it's a it's definitely <laughs> it's it's like it's awful like it's absolutely like i was awful. saying like especially during the action the fight scenes they were like uh how many synth tracks do you want on this one and like all of them what is how many does your synth go up to? You could do eight we overdubs only, at a time. I was, I was say, we only it. have eight. We only have an eight track. No, but you get sixteen on there somehow. I know because like they've got like the synth drums. They've got like a different you know synth organ. They've got a different. <laughs> it's just they, they've they've overdubbed it with all the synth tracks. I mean, like you said, I think the fight scenes themselves with like the synth is all right it's when they start pulling in like the actual um music with lyrics like the fight to survive song um or when they have that amazing song where they just keep chanting kumite 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 uh it that's when things start to get pretty cheesy uh you know which is not necessarily out of uh scope of an of an 80s movie like this but uh yeah it it has a a very arresting soundtrack um other than that that's pretty much all i got for Bloodsport. anything else from you what'd you think of the dim mock oh yeah like i was saying you know the dim mock is amazing you can pick one block in of uh a stack of bricks and just smash your hand into it and blow it out. So that's also like another uh, thing Mortal Kombat took from it. Uh, not the dim mock itself, but if you remember from the earlier games, the test your might game, mini game. Mm-hmm. That's that basically. Yeah, basically. Um, and I, when I hear the dim mock and what it does, I, I just think of uh, like Kenshiro from Fist of the North Star, like. Because he's just all he does is you know fucking flick you and you go <laughs> and he's like and then like oh you're gonna die in five seconds what yeah. and you know they explode into yeah that is yeah it is pretty much like fist of the north star yeah like I I, I touched your arm but I targeted your heart <laughs> you know <laughs> I hit this one one chi spot that's you know gonna send my energy all the way up and radiate through into your head and it's explode <laughs> yep but. I think it's a little under, uh, you know, I think the fact that he uses it to nut punch Chong Lee at the end, you know. Guess it is, truly is a blood sport, because, uh, no one's like, you know, oh, that's, you know, fighting dirty. 
No, no somebody okay. should somebody should overdub that. Maybe somebody has the, him punching him in the balls and add Bobby Hill from King of the Hill. Like that's my purse. I don't know you. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. He does do a couple nut punches in this movie, just like whoosh, right to the balls. And you know, like again, like Frank Dukes is a badass. He doesn't take like his uh his top part of his gi off until like you know like second to last fight. He's just breezing through with like you know like he's fucking Goku. Like, oh yeah, I guess I'll finally take off my weighted robes. <laughs> yeah, right. He's always been one of the dumbest things in it, Dragon Ball like ever. Like, oh, what are you doing? Oh, I was wearing weighted armor to make me faster and stronger. Oh, oh. And not Look only, how fast he is now! Not only that, but Frank sets the record for the fastest knockout in the Kumite, like, immediately. This first first match. Just sets Which, the record. Who's the record keeper at the Kumite? Who's like, alright, what's the fucking record for knockout? 18 seconds? Yeah. I find it hard to believe that this movie had to have two screenwriters, too. It's like, doesn't have three. that much story. Well, yeah, it has three if you count the guy who wrote the story's uh, treatment of it, but two people actually wrote the screenplay itself. How many montages did they write in? Or I was know. Like, you know? Yeah, probably right in the script montage time. Or do you think, I would say, or do you think, like, uh, maybe there's a lot more going on, but, like, like the director's like, listen, we don't have the fucking money to do all Probably. this nonsense. So we're <laughs> just going to go with a random, like, singing in the rain, run through uh, Kowloon, you know, as he's like, which uh, that's another, we talked about a little bit, but like that, when that whole montage when he's running away from like the army cops and you got like the freaking synth, like, <laughs> he's on the run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And he's just like kind of spinning around like a. It's almost like like police story with like Jackie Chan like some of the bits, but his is more artfully done and like you know more engaging and makes sense. Here he's just kind of like gently like oh catch you boys catch me. <laughs> oh god, love it. It's a great movie. It's a great movie. Uh, that brings us to our rating. So, on a scale of uh, 0 to 10, uh, Young Frank's stealing a katana, what would you give Bloodsport? I'll give it a 7 out of 10. Um, it's enjoyable for what it is. Um, I think the fact that it's only 90 minutes definitely helps because... Uh, even in, in this 92 minute film, there's a lot of bu- unnecessary bullshit that's <clears throat> pretty tedious and annoying at times. Um, but that being said, I think the premise overall is pretty cool. Like an under, you know, underground fight tournament that happens every five years that's mysterious. And nobody really knows about the fights are pretty cool. Uh, yeah, you know, the film's basically carried by the idea and the premise overall and how menacing Chong Lee is, you know. Um, Jean-Claude Van Damme is actually pretty good in this. He's actually really charismatic. He's probably the only good, you know, I would say, like, the only decent acting part in this film. Him and Forrest Whitaker, but that's... That being said for poor Forrest, he doesn't really have too much to do to begin with, so it's kind of, like, kind of funny to think that the poor man... This is one of the first films that he was in. Uh, but I think it's just, you know, it's enjoyable. It's a fun film. If you're looking for something to just totally turn off and just kind of sit back and just shove popcorn into your mouth, this is definitely one of those films. But there's nothing really outstanding or groundbreaking from the action to the martial arts to the premise, you know. So... Yeah, seven. I give it a seven. Yeah, I'd probably give this a seven and a half. I think it's a enjoyable experience. It's definitely not a what you would call consider like a great movie, uh, but it is a fun movie. And I think that if you can get down with that and just kind of let go of the uh, various criticisms that you might have of it, like you know, stupid plotting, or in in some cases like really non-existent plotting, um, or uh, 
you know, stupid incorporation of the army guys or uh, really bad acting at times. If you can get get used to all of that, I think the movie is really fun to just like watch and be entertained by. Um, and it has a, a lot of good fight sequences. I think Jean-Claude Van Damme does a really good job with those. Uh, he's definitely the man for the part. Um, he's very limber, you know, obviously very physically fit and, and uh, adaptable. And uh, I think they, they did a really good job with the choreography here, uh, especially with Chong Lee. I think their, their fight scene is probably the best. Um, and I think he's an imposing figure, too. So they did a good job with the villain. Um, you know, like you said, there's a lot of excess stuff that really doesn't need to be in this movie. Um, it does elongate it a little bit. They probably were looking for a 90 minute runtime here. Um, so I, th- I think that, you know, if they were to cut out some of that stuff, um, probably would have made the film a little bit more streamlined, uh, but maybe a little too short. Uh, so, you know, with that said, I think the film is definitely a fun thing to just sit down and watch as an action movie um it's not gonna like blow you away um you know it's probably not even the best like martial arts street fighting kickboxing movie that i've seen but it definitely is you know a fun experience and it it does have longevity so um i think it's you know it's fair to say that it's something that you should check out if you haven't seen it So with that, we come to the end of our Bloodsport discussion. Um, should we say what's on tap for next week? What's on <clears throat> What's on tap for next week, Ryan? I think what's on tap for next week is Roadhouse. Patrick Swayze. We were supposed to do it. You know what? God, that's going to bug me why we didn't do anything during August. Because that was part of our original Red Hot Action 80s month, but it got cut off because we didn't have... We weren't able to do it. Yep. We had to, uh, we had to, I, I can't remember exactly why we did. There was something going on. I can't remember what it was. Uh, we weren't able to do it at that time, but, uh, probably just another cold spike. Something like that. Can't remember. But, uh, yeah, we're going to do Roadhouse this time and, um, should be, should be fun. I, I, I have seen it now because <laughs> I watched it for the last time we were going to do it. And, uh, yeah, it was funny too. Cause you're saying like, oh man, it feels like I just watched it. It does feel like I just watched it. Yeah, it does. Um, it feels like I, I literally just saw it not too long ago, but what can you do? I'll watch it again. The Swayze in tight jeans throwing crescent kicks. Absolutely. It's great. It's a, it's a fun movie. So I think we'll have a, a fun time with Roadhouse. Uh, a little bit of a change up from uh, Bloodsport, so stay tuned. You'll definitely want to check that one out. So thanks for listening. Uh, hopefully you come back for our uh, the rest of the films in our Red Hot 80s Action Summer Part 2 Heatwave Edition. And um, if you want to continue checking us out, you can find us on pretty much any podcasting app that you can think of. We're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, our home base at Anchor.fm. Um, but if you don't use those, we're on every podcasting app. So uh, subscribe to us, leave, in a, leave us a nice review. That always helps us out. Uh, we are on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, just search for us on there, uh, Blood and Black Rum Podcast. We have an email address at bloodandblackrumpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can write to us, r- let us know what you like, what you don't like, uh, what you want to hear us cover uh, for the next episodes. We'll take those into consideration. Uh, we um, also have a Patreon page at patreon.com slash Podcast. You can donate to us. We definitely appreciate that. Whatever you can send our way, we'll put towards beer. So thank you in advance. Um, So that's it. Hopefully we see you next time for our coverage of uh, Roadhouse. Take care. Oh, is that too early? No, you're good. Take care.